Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 91. It is Thursday, April 30th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we have reached the final four of Eno's beer bracket. We'll get to that as part of our Beer of the Week segment at the end of the show. There was another proposal about uh, realignment that included 10-team divisions, a Mega West, a Mega East, and a Mega Central. So we'll talk a bit about that. And I stumbled into a thought, a few thoughts, I guess, last night during the NL Triple Crown auction. I started to wonder if perhaps we're not giving rebuilding teams with interesting pitching prospects enough credit. Uh, mostly not thinking about the possibility they're going to want those guys to actually throw a lot of meaningful innings in order to not hurt themselves in future seasons in terms of having restrictions later. So we'll get to all those topics and perhaps a few others along the way. You know, happy Thursday. How's it going for you today? It's going well. Um, The weather's good. I've been having trouble sleeping, and I wonder if it has, I mean, there's obviously all sorts of reasons, uh, potential reasons for that. But um, I've had some Achilles tendonitis, so I've been, I, I, after nearly running nine miles last week, I've sort of stepped back from that. I've been doing the bike instead, and I just don't know if it's tiring me out enough. Oh. Um, and so my wife is like, oh, you got to get on the Peloton app, and you got to like really push yourself and you got to really do like the, and I'm like, I'm trying, man. I'm like huffing and puffing and going as fast as I can and turning up the, you know, the resistance and all that stuff. But I don't know. Um, I'm happy for the weekend and the tendonitis is slowly getting better. Doing my rice. Was it rest ice? What's compression? C? Compression. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to put like a brace on it. I'm supposed to wrap it. Hmm. Yeah, I've not an- been doing the C wraps. part. I've yep. just been doing rye, rye, mm, rye IPA. Yeah, you can change that I to a Y. <laughs> but it's it's slowly getting better. Um, I just wish you know one of the things that was interesting to me about muscle activation technique was a, a piece that I did about Matt Boyd and the things he did to get his body right. And one of the things I liked about muscle activation technique is they asked why. Um, you know, there's a lot of Western science that doesn't really ask why as much as it asks, like, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? You know, how can we mitigate it? And, um, muscle activation technique is like, if you've got soreness here, so like I've got soreness in my Achilles, why, what is the underlying problem? And I guess you could say just be like, it's overuse, but that doesn't make sense because your body is like, yes, soreness the day after something makes sense. That's your body's trying to recover and and getting stronger uh, eventually over time. But persistent soreness means something's wrong. And muscle activation technique says what's wrong is that you have a corresponding weakness somewhere. And so basically that Achilles area, that muscle or ligament or something is receiving too much stress because you're you're weak somewhere else um unfortunately my muscle activation trainer that i went to uh they that they close up shop during this like the, the that place no longer exists and i don't really want to have that close contact with anybody right now although i'm getting closer to being like you know i'd like to go see her again maybe drive all the way up to marin and and have her check out my ankle because i think it's related to my ankle but i think that's interesting you know because you know i have stomach problems too and you know when i go to to talk to people about my stomach problems they're always like you know what are the symptoms how can we stop the symptoms and and there and that and like there's not there's been it's been taking me a long time to get any doctor to be like you know, what about the diet and what is, what is it that's you're doing that's, that's causing these problems? Uh, they mostly just want to solve the problems. Um, so anyway, that was a rant. <laughs> your, your, uh, your problem seems more complex than mine. Uh, my, my problem of the day, which is again, tiny in this mm-hmm. world, uh, in, in the last couple of days, it's been raining here a lot. And mm, somehow, so I, I didn't know birds did this, but uh, birds apparently make nests very quickly when mm. it's raining, and they put a nest above my patio light, which is about two feet outside my patio door, which is about three feet above where I like to grow tomatoes in the summer. Um, <sighs> so, you know, I can't really have birds right there. Um, as, because, also, you know, is your dog going nuts? 
it will make my dog go nuts. I don't think the birds are in it yet. I think they just finished building it yesterday. Oh, you got to get in there and get it out of there. Today is the day. I have to very quickly and ethically move this nest to a Make new sure place. There's no eggs in there and get them and get them out. I know. If I, if I look in there and there's eggs in there, it's gonna be it's Came gonna over. be very frustrating because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna move it and it's it's gonna cause <laughs> it's gonna cause some stress because we just bought a bunch of seeds and a bunch of stuff to you know just grow some of our own food. We started doing this last year anyway, but uh, uh-huh. we don't have we don't have the luxury of a, a yard yet. So our patio is our space, and when birds take over our patio, it causes <laughs> us problems. And it's happened more than once. We've boarded up all the gaps in the deck above us because they like to nest in there. Uh, and uh, yeah, our maintenance crew did a good job. They covered up all the gaps. They cut up a two by four, and we thought, okay, we're finally bird proofed, entering our our fourth summer in this place. And it turns out they just put one right out in the open, which is a huge middle finger to my wife and I. Like they just they have no respect for us. So I would I'm going to do what Madison Bumgarner would do in this situation. And no, it's not what he did to the snake that ate the rabbit. Madison Bumgarner would <laughs> would politely and gently move the nest if only there are no eggs in it. So that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Madison Bumgarner for about five minutes this afternoon. The birds are back in, in our... Uh, I've taken with fewer humans around. The birds are back in our in our neck of the woods. I saw a hawk almost you know, capture a squirrel the other day, just swoop down and just last minute had to veer out of the way. Um, and, uh, uh, the heron has been eyeing our, we have a koi pond and the heron has been eyeing our fish. Mm. And he's also, the heron has been like walking around on the streets, which I've never seen before. Herons are legit. Um, they, uh, I don't, and apparently they remember. So now that he's seen our pond, it could be an issue. (laughs) I didn't know herons also had memories though, but, uh, I've seen them strut around a little bit around here. That happens. Uh, mm-hmm. On occasion, just thinking the birds are back in town would be the worst Weird Al uh, song <laughs> ever. If you ripped off the old Thin Lizzy track and had a bunch of chirping birds oh in there, and ugh, it's just the worst. Uh, all right, on to the baseball. Uh, the ten-team division proposal. I think it originated with Bob Nightingale of USA Today uh, in terms of where it was first reported. My apologies if that is inaccurate, but I started looking into that just a little bit and thinking about ways that could actually work. And that proposal was part of one in which teams would play in their own stadiums, uh, just empty, and this would reduce travel. So the West Coast teams would stay on the West Coast, teams in the middle of the country would stay in the middle, teams out East would stay out East. And you'd have something that at least gives you variety in the schedule, doesn't create the bubble scenario and I think if you're going to expand the playoffs 10 team divisions actually makes a lot of sense because you could do something like the top two in each division automatically go through into a full series maybe third place in each division uh, gets a wild card berth and then the very best record overall remaining from teams that hadn't already qualified maybe they would get in uh, to a wild card as well so you'd have 10 out of 30 teams making the playoffs uh, with four of those teams playing in some kind of wild card scenario, maybe a three game series instead of a uh, a five or w- whatever, you could you could mix it up any number of ways. And then once you knock out the wild card teams, you have an eight team bracket to go play it out the rest of the way. Which logically made sense to me, and and geographically the way the divisions combined, it wasn't quite as disorienting as the uh, the cactus league and grapefruit league realignments that were going around, where the Brewers were suddenly in a division with. Uh, the Rangers, the Royals, the Padres, and uh, teams that you just don't see a lot of. Like that was a that was a pretty weird realignment. This one at least made sense in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, it it instantly creates some winners and losers, though. And you're going to have teams like I don't know the Mets not wanting to play the Yankees and Red Sox a ton. Um, and the Rays maybe like being like mad about that, um, being moved into that division. Um, I could see the uh, well, I don't know who. I think the the um, otherwise, I think uh, you know people might. There's enough sort of winners and losers in the other two that I that I think um, um, it might work. And I think that you know the carrot for everybody is is baseball, and so. 
you know, if this is what it takes to to get it done, I I don't think this will be the hurdle necessarily. Um, you can see that there's it's actually kind of evenly mixed when it comes to uh, favorites and dogs. Um, if you look at the New East, you would have I think the Yankees, Nationals, and Rays atop the pile, with the Marlins and Orioles and Pirates as the worst teams. In the West, you would have the Dodgers. Astros and A's atop the pile. Uh, seems like a pretty much equal amount of, of, of studs. And at the bottom, you're maybe actually, this might be the, the tightest one because you really only have the Giants um, at the bottom. And uh, there's a big scrum in the middle with the Angels, Padres, uh, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Rangers. Uh, maybe you want to put the Mariners at the bottom too. So, uh, that one might be the tighter one. And then you've got uh, in the central, probably the best teams are the Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals, uh, which comes right out of the NL Central, but also the Indians uh, and the Twins. So maybe that one's the tightest one, but at the bottom, you've got the Tigers uh, and Royals, at least. So, um, I, you know, it's fairly these are fairly well-matched divisions. Uh, I think that uh, I like that it cuts down travel. Travel, I think, is the main component. Nobody really wants to get... Uh, in an iron tube with a bunch of other people, but um, the 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 also the flip side is they could probably do private airplane travel, um, and maybe this would lead to a lot of bus travel uh, because uh, they're pretty close to each other. The main problem I have with this plan versus the Arizona plan is the uh, two things: the timing and um, the, uh, the certain hot spots. So. I feel like the timing uh, on this rumor was aggressive. Uh, June, uh, June timing, like early June, actual baseball playing would mean that uh, we would have to basically settle on this plan in the next two weeks or so, just in terms of logistics. I think. Right, because um, we keep hearing that it's a three-week run-up to get players ready to play again. Right, so they would have to decide this week that this is the plan, and then start spring training like in a week. In order to start in early June, so I think you know early June is uh, not realistic, especially given the second problem I have the plan, which is that there are hot spots. I think in terms of New York and Illinois are kind of the main hot spots right now, and that's a problem because there's four teams there, you know, and I don't think like having the Yankees and Mets play upstate is in the plan in this plan you know what i mean this plan is everyone plays in their own stadiums yeah so, I, I wonder if that's been discussed it hasn't been really reported at least i haven't seen it reported anywhere are the teams in the most hard-hit cities considering an alternative site as their home park i mean detroit's also a hot spot as well so you look at that situation with both chicago teams and detroit in one division is it feasible for those teams to actually play at Wrigley and, and guaranteed then, rate in Comerica? California has a pretty uh, strict shelter-in-place thing with the ban on gatherings. Um, and, you know, if you add up the, te- the the two teams and the number of personnel, um, you get close. I mean, you can you start getting close to 100. Yeah, pretty quickly, actually. And we've talked about this before, too. It's not just the players. It is the team personnel. It's security. It, it's... Yeah. everybody involved just and that's why i thought arizona would make sense and i think you could maybe do a split season where you say hey we're gonna start in arizona and we're gonna try and play 40 games in arizona play 40 there maybe have a, a two to three day break and it's a, not really even an all-star break it's just a break to get everybody back home and then and then and then see if all the shelter in places are gone and if the bans on public gatherings or if the gatherings are can be you know like 150 now or 200 or something lobby the local governments if you need to see see how the virus goes um, Arizona is not like you know a shining beacon in this whole mess but in terms of getting everybody in one place in a state that hasn't been hit as hard as the others and has the infrastructure to do this I mean, Phoenix is a is not only a baseball town, uh, but it is a convention town, which means that it has a lot of hotels. It has a huge convention center. It has a lot of place to put these people. 
And uh, it also has 14 parks. Now, that means somebody has to be off for three days or they have to kind of fudge it on the 15th park. But, um, you know, they've got uh, they've got, I'd say, most of the infrastructure. So I'm kind of more in favor of the Arizona plan. They can uh, do something like this in terms of the realignment. Uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different based on the actual geography of how Arizona would be broken up. But, um, you know, I guess part of the problem is, you know, how do you house the teams that don't have Arizona complexes? How do you uh, make room for their minor league teams to have complex ball? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Um, and that's why, you know, Arizona, Florida, but I don't think Florida is necessarily in the shape to, to, to pull this off right now. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of pessimism online and I'm, I'm a little surprised by it. Um, an $11 billion industry is going to try and kind of going to try and start up again. I and mean, that's what they do. Like they, they, they're there to make money. Yeah. And you're going to argue, you can argue about the safety, but uh, the mortality rates for uh, the for ninety eight percent of the people that play baseball and are in baseball um, are are minuscule, and so therefore, yes, there becomes a question of sort of how much separation do you do, how much quarantining do you do, how much that. Uh, but I think the general plan for us to get out of this is to kind of help separate out the most at risk people. Uh, where the mortality rates are higher, and and protect them, um, and try to reopen the rest. And uh, in baseball, that actually seems easier than in some other businesses. Um, and uh, you know, like for example, I don't know, you know, nursing homes are a really, really big problem. How do you staff a nursing home and keep the people in the nursing home safer? You know, <laughs> because the people who work in the nursing home are younger, and they have to be able to go to work. But they're going to be interacting with the people who are most at risk. So, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, hospitals and, and nursing homes and stuff like that, that can be more complicated. But like, you know, creating a, a place for people to play baseball in some respects uh, seems very possible to me. Yeah, it's it's not as far fetched to me as it was to some other people when this was first pitched. I know there are people who initially reacted to the Arizona plan and just said, no chance, not going to happen all it takes is a few players not wanting to do it, and it all collapses. But they were focusing on this as being like a quarantine situation, where like we had, we're like we're dragging Mike Trout away from his pregnant wife. Um, and I don't, I, I just, I yes, I don't think that's going to happen. But I also think that there's a way to do Arizona without doing that. Um, and uh, um, I've been looking at uh, a lot of data and a lot of uh, a lot of studies on this, and. Um, there's a there's a there's a seems to be seems to be a consensus that uh, some people haven't examined um, about this situation. So I don't know if I want to get uh, too far into it. It gets a little political, but I would say that I I, I remain hopeful that one of these plans is in place. Uh, I still like my July Fourth date. It could maybe happen a little bit earlier, but um, uh, we'll see. We'll see how they how they figure this out. Yeah, um, I, I remain optimistic. I've been pretty optimistic i think from the jump that by july 4th we could get things rolling i would say i would say uh in terms of fantasy and stuff um uh i would say that both of these plans now uh would lean towards uh universal dh seems like a lock at this point right just because you're mixing up a on nl you've got concerns about not having enough depth potentially. I mean, there was the report that was uh, eventually refuted yesterday that the minor league season was canceled. That that hasn't happened. Several sources uh, reporting that was a false report. So it's going to look different. We we've known that for a while, like, and we've been talking here how we doubt it's going to uh, be regular and it's going to be more like complex ball. And uh, if it is that then there is some pressure on major league teams to maybe create some space for those uh, ready prospects. And the DH helps that Uh, in terms of scheduling, um, uh, you know, the DH helps there. And um, in terms of uh, reducing injury risk for the pitchers, uh, the DH helps there. Uh, The, the, the risk for the pitchers are already going to be pretty high. 
and um, the DH uh, keeps them off the base pass at least uh, and off you know from swinging. I mean, they just they look pretty terrible swinging anyway. So let's just not do that so much. Yeah, as someone who has seen pitchers get hurt hitting, running the bases, <laughs> diving back into bases, um, I I'm ready for the universal DH as we talked about a couple weeks back. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. The Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com, code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, you know, so we've talked about the implications of the universal DH, and we've talked about teams being more aggressive with prospects. And I was going through the NL Triple Crown auction reserve rounds last night. So 15 teams, just like the AL League we talked about last Thursday for a bit. Uh, five reserve rounds after purchasing 18 players. And I was desperate for anybody with a, a glimmer of hope for the 2020 season as I was moving through the final round. My queue was empty. And I landed on Edward Cabrera as the best dart I could throw in the last round of my reserve draft because I started to think about young pitching and the way teams still really build guys up progressively year over year. Like the Verducci effect was debunked years ago now, right? But there's still something that guides the process of how teams build up their pitchers, even when they're not coming back from injuries earlier in their career. I mean, Julio Urias, like look at the way the Dodgers have handled him for a couple of years. They've been very careful with him. Uh, but you can look at year-over-year workloads in the minor leagues. You see this progressive buildup. If you don't follow that, you do run the risk of having problems down the road where you can't let someone throw as many innings as you might want. And Cabrera jumped into my mind in the reserve rounds last night because talent-wise, he's probably one of the five best starters in the Marlins organization already. And it's similar to the problem that the Tigers have with Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal. Uh, probably similar to the situation that the Royals even have with Daniel Lynch. Those teams need those guys to get innings. And if they're able to throw them in complex minor league games or whatever it is, maybe that's good enough for their arms. But I'm beginning to warm up to the idea that a few of these young pitching prospects might actually skip levels and might actually have larger roles in the big leagues. Maybe not necessarily as starters, could be as multi-inning relievers, uh, but are, have I overlooked that previously as something that might be different about this season? Yeah, I was talking to uh, Lindsey Adler about this and Tom Tango, and you know, Tango was predicting that we would have a lot of games where you basically have one pitcher throw three innings, another pitch two, maybe you know, a bunch of ones after that. We'd basically have stuff that looks like bullpen games uh, with a, with a maybe slight, light, slightly more bulk uh, beginning than a true sort of one, nine pitchers, one inning uh, kind of bullpen game. So I, I could see that happening, especially if they expand the rosters and allow more pitchers. And it's been something that's been happening in the game anywhere, anyway. I, You know, one of the things I was trying to do when I looked at the relative value of command and stuff was try to predict innings pitched per game per appearance, because I felt that a lot of teams were kind of moving towards a different model where they thought of a guy as a two inning guy, you know, a five out guy, a six out guy, a nine out guy, a 12 out guy, and not necessarily 
as a binary decision between starter and reliever. Um, and I think that this situation this year is going to push that decision, push that trend even harder. And it's going to push it really hard in the short term. And I'm not sure what it'll look like in 21 and 20, uh, 2021 and 2022 when you get back, getting back to 162 game seasons and uh, more organizations maybe wanting to develop uh, true starters that can go five or six. Um, but I do think in the short run, we're going to see a lot more uh, three and four and two and three. Um, as long as you put a priority on developing extra pitches, and I don't know if maybe um, Tarek Skubal comes in and pitches two major league innings and then goes out to the bullpen after he's done and throws another simulated inning in the bullpen to continue to, uh, like, you know, that way you're getting him to face, improve, uh, face improved, uh, um, you know, batters and, and improve himself that way. Uh, improve his ma- his best two pitches and, and his use and command of those, and also work on his third pitch uh, and gain that extra bulk that you may want out of him. Um, so I think that could be uh, what we see with some young pitchers: is hey, I need you know that two innings from you in this game, not only from sort of a structural standpoint, because with with so many bullpen games, I'm going to need a lot of arms. Uh, but also from a developmental standpoint. Um, and uh, so I, I think there are ways that we're going to see uh, teams use that. And I, I think that's how we kind of ended last episode where I said, if you want a blanket statement from me about what's going to happen here with the young guys, I would say all the, you know, all the major league ready pitching gets a, a nudge forward, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think it's exactly the sort of effect that you're talking about. Yeah. I, I just think maybe that thought, landed in practice with an auction in front of me where it's like how how are teams really going to get through this I mean do you really want Jordan Yamamoto going five or six innings every day all season while Edward Cabrera pitches against your minor leaguers is that really the best long-term decision uh, for his development skills wise and and health wise I think that hybrid idea uh, that you kind of brought up the example with Scooble makes a lot of sense like it you can still use him like a starter overall that day from a physical workload standpoint and not necessarily use him as a starter in your game because of how you have to distribute innings and how you want to you know manage his own workload and, and things like that yeah uh there was an interesting comment somewhere and i can't really i can't place it so i apologize for not giving credit but Somebody pointed out about the cheapness of teams, and so I was. Oh, I think it was on the on our piece, the the roundtable that we had. And somebody pointed out that one of the first commenters pointed out that, you know, I was saying that like there's the cheapness of the teams and the coming sort of or the the economic crisis that we're in and how teams are going to react to that uh, and how that plays out versus. Um, their need to develop these players and their increased ability uh, to be in it in a shorter season, the increased variance in a shorter season. So there's, uh, there was that dichotomy. And the, the commenter pointed out, well, wouldn't cheaper labor right now be the focus then? Wouldn't they rather kick the can down the road uh, six or seven or at least three or four years uh, in terms of that and, and, and um, use the cheaper labor now? Yes, I guess it depends on how how large the rosters open up. Because if the rosters open up one or two, then yes, it'll be a, a couple opportunities for the for the young guys. Um, but the rosters as they are are mostly st- are mostly in are, are mostly written in pen, you know. And so the the choice isn't like, do I sign a four million dollar guy or use a five hundred thousand dollar guy? Right, because the rosters are mostly written in pen. They're, they're, like I don't think they're going to release a lot of people in order to play cheaper guys. I mean, that would just seem a it would it would seem very tone deaf, you know, uh, to release a capable, uh, expensive starter and just you know just immediately dump half your roster and 
and and bring a bunch of 500,000k guys in to to save money. I mean that would be very transparent. I think the union would go nuts, right? Yeah, if if veteran, let's say like veteran relievers who make 4 to 6 million a year or something, if those guys start getting DFA'd and prospects are promoted to take their spots, a prospect at 500 And we're talking about like going into the season, less. like if right now the Marlins are like, "Ugh, screw this crap and release like VR Dickerson, um, you know, Aguiar, Kinsler, uh, maybe even like a Caleb Smith, you know, like if they just went like, you know, Hey, you six guys later. Yeah. And like tank their payroll down to like, you know, 10 million or something. (laughs) Like I think, uh, I think that would be kind of crazy. So, you know, we're talking we're talking mostly about uh, a couple new roles, uh, maybe a couple new roster spots opening up. And yes, I do think those will be filled by uh, prospects, and that's why we think across the board, um, you know, prospects get a little bump this year. But uh, it's mostly going to be pitching prospects. I think there was there's one other thought that came out of the the auction uh, last night too. Just thinking about bullpen management and teams that still haven't figured out their save situation or closer situation, and I, the Cardinals are that team that are, are really a trouble spot for me. Like I have mm-hmm. no good sense of what they're going to do, and the variable in that bullpen is Jordan Hicks. I mean, he's uh, supposed to be back at some point in July, but there's a, a lot here as far as you know, not knowing how much of his rehab he's been able to push through on his own in mm-hmm. isolation. Like that's a big question for a guy coming off Tommy John surgery. So. He's a variable that might have a, a larger role in this season than previously expected because it's a shortened season. You know, Giovanni Gallegos is frequently atop the depth chart a lot of places. I know Ryan Helsley's a guy that you like quite a bit. They pay Andrew Miller a lot of money. They got to do something with Alex Reyes someday. I don't know what exactly that's going to be or, or when exactly that's going to happen, but they have a lot of ways they could handle the ninth inning, and it could be you know E. None of the above. It could be John Brebby yeah, or somebody Brebby else. Yeah, because Brebby is pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of a lot of ways they can go, and I don't feel like I've really seen a lot of strong indicators from them as to which route they're going to choose. I mean, hell, it could even be Carlos Martinez. Um, I think they're going to need some bulk out of Carlos Martinez, though. I think they're going to they're going to need uh, a sixth or seventh starter. Even I mean, I think Kwang Hyun Kim is going to be their kind of sixth starter vulture guy. Uh, doubleheader starter type guy. Um, and uh, so I think with those two out, at least you can focus a little bit on the Hicks, Helsley, Gallegos group as a leader. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals saves leader has like 10 saves next year, this year, this season. They could be a little bit Tampa Bay-like. I mean, I, I know with Nick Anderson Generally, people are looking at that situation and saying he's the guy, but the Cardinals have the depth to run something similar and, and just say, we're going to play the matchups. We actually don't care who gets the last three outs. They could very justifiably do that with the pieces they have in place. I think so. And Gallegos, you know, he really upped his slider usage to the point where he's almost 50 50. Um, and that did uh, a good. That did a had a good effect on his home run rate, um, which has been kind of up and down uh, in his major league time so far. Um, and so that's why you look at his projections, and you have Zips giving him 1.1 homers per nine, and you have the bat giving him 1.5 homers per nine. That's a fairly large spread. Um, and I think there is some risk uh, to a fly ball guy, especially if they're not going to play in uh, St. Louis. So I know that people love Gallegos, but I've also, you know, Cards Twitter is dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure which direction exactly yeah, you wanted I don't, to go there. I don't, I'm not going to render judgment on a whole, uh, on a whole fandom. But I, I, do, I would say that there have been people within Cards Twitter that uh, assure me and assure other people that Gallegos is not a top to get depth chart. Um, and the team will not go in that direction. So uh, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. It's uh, sometimes you, when you're talking about closer stuff, it's you're literally trying to read tea leaves, but um, I've kind of mostly 
avoided the situation. The other situation that I think is somewhat complicated, not because they have as many options as the Cardinals, but because uh, somebody who was named the closer was just so bad last year that I can't really believe he's actually the guy, is Colorado. And I think... Wade Davis. That's exactly what I thought in my head. (laughs) Scott Oberg is a good pitcher. And if we're talking about maybe upgrading Marquez and John Gray and the starters, if they're not pitching in Colorado, if they're pitching in Arizona instead, I mean, Scott Mm -hmm. Oberg becomes a really nice cheap closer option anyway he might be good enough to get the job done having to deal with Coors he's cheap enough where I feel like you can throw the dart if you don't like what you see you cut bait and you move that's, on and that's the main problem that I have with the St. Louis situation is that you know with with Helsley's late helium at least when we were still doing drafts he was even kind of evading my grasp um, and so it actually is kind of a potentially expensive bullpen to buy into yeah it's not it's not like iogus is cheap and miller is even costing some money and so you know that that one's a tough one to get into but the you know the rockies bullpen is is uh, fairly cheap to buy buy into and like if you want a dark horse jairo diaz throws 97 um and has the potential to strike more guys out so um, you know, I, I, I think that's a, that's an interesting one, especially if they don't, they don't play at home. Um, I could, I could see buying into that, you know, other ones, I, I don't shy away from what I see as unsettled situations completely because, um, I have some shares of Hunter Harvey, uh, and, and Michael Gibbons in, in Baltimore. Um, what I want to see out of a bullpen situation is when it's bullpen by, by committee, I want to see that buying in is cheap. And because I don't, I don't like buying uh, a non-established. Uh, not, uh, I don't like buying a guy who doesn't have the role right now. <laughs> I don't want to pay a lot of money for the guy who doesn't have the role right now. Well, that's the I Nick Anderson be- problem too. It's it's the same thing you just described with Gallegos, where the assumption is that they're the guy and that they're going to keep the job, and the price and so is they, high enough where you get burned pretty badly if they don't. Right. That's my point. Exactly. So I want the price to be low. And then the other part that the Cardinals, the other test the Cardinals fail is I want the usual suspects. I want the committee to be small enough that I'm either getting half a handcuff or a third. I don't want to be like one of four. And um, ideally, I'd love to get two out of three, you know, and have my final pick. Like I, I think it'd be fine to take Oberg in like the third to last round, and then Jairo Diaz at the last pick because the last pick very rarely ends up on your team, you know. And that's just basically um, Jairo Diaz is going to be the guy I drop unless uh, in this spring that we have, the, I find that Jairo Diaz is is the guy getting more buzz, you know. Um, so that's so you know Baltimore has been a place that I've gone. I've got, I bought into the Tampa uh, discussion. Um, because, uh, I've found that, you know, Diego Castillo is, is cheap. Yeah. And Jose Alvarado, and Jose, Alvarado Jose Alvarado is super cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think even if Nick Anderson is the guy with the tap, capital T and the capital G, I think those guys will get some saves. So, uh, I don't know. What's another unsettled bullpen Marlins. I've actually had a couple, uh, uh shares of Ryan Stanek, not because I think Kinsler's terrible, they could do the thing where they just have a credible guy do it all year and keep Stanek cheap. But because I think Stanek will get some saves and because I think he's the better pitcher than Kinsler and should eventually take that job. And also because he's cheap as hell and because there's no other, I mean, Stecken Ryder maybe, and that's it. Maybe Urania. That's like, that's, and those are a little bit more long shots. The other guys in that bullpen, I'm not, I'm not giving them the job. Yeah, I mean, Brad Boxberger's done it before, and Yimi Garcia was interesting once, but I would also be looking at Stanek if I were going to go away from Brandon Kinsler. haven't done a lot with the Marlins bullpen so far, but that's another one. At least everyone's cheap, so you can throw a cheap dart. If it hits, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. But you can still fail the other test, which is the Giants, everyone is cheap, but the usual suspects list is too long. I think, that one's personally. been a mess all along. I, Sean I think- Anderson, Sam Coonrod, Trevor Gott, Tony Watson. You're already four deep, and and then Handel Gustave. And like you, you just you don't really. None of them really seems like. Oh yeah, that's the guy. I mean, Gott. I, I don't know if I put my money on 
two, it might be Gott and Anderson. And if you only got one of those two? Yeah, I don't know. If I could pick two and sort of consolidate, but I think it's a fairly wide thing. And it could be just be Watson and give him the closer role until he leaves town, you know? I, I think I would go Gott over Anderson, but I feel like Watson's the guy to start. Yeah, certainly could be. Yeah, uh, so. the Mariners one I've gotten a lot of shares of because I actually think uh, it's down to th- to three or four, and one is hurt. So Austin Adams is coming back off of ACL surgery, uh, so you can you can say file him for later. Um, and so therefore, I think and Matt Majo was hurt too. So that I thought it really got down to Carl Edwards Jr. and Yoshihisa Hirano. Yeah, Majo so. might be healthy though once the season actually starts. Adams that, will still have some time. But at least they're cheap, and I would say that it's fewer fewer potential suspects than like the Giants, you know. Yeah, the Giants, seven, eight guys are all kind of on similar yeah. footing, I think, as far as yeah. getting those opportunities. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you could jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors and no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code RATES for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code RATES. All right, you know, we're at the final four stage of the beer bracket. We've, we've made it. You've been uh, watching those results come in. Did you get a push on Hazy Little Thing or on uh, 805? Actually, my math must have been off. We're in the Elite Eight. <laughs> oh, okay. well, more, more bracket to go then, even better. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, uh, the beer bracket is up. And what's fun about the Elite Eight is it's the last chance uh, for Style to beat, to, to go up against Style. And um, so... What you what you find is like when we get to the final four, uh, we're definitely going to get to um, a point where um, where like Guinness is going to go up against All Day IPA. I think that's my finals basically is Guinness versus All Day IPA. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. But let me just read off uh, the fi- the Elite Eight. I would love uh, y'all to get in there and vote. Um, and uh, if you're a listener. Uh, mention that to me in a tweet and maybe I can get you into the bracket, you know, um, <laughs> uh, it, the, the, the actual place that you vote is, uh, is not behind the paywall. <laughs> um, but, uh, I wish it would load because I would love to tell you the lead eight. I know that Yingling has been a Cinderella story. I think I was a little surprised, uh, to find Yingling, uh, making it to the Elite Eight, but uh, Stella against Yingling in, uh, have come out of the light uh, category. Stella beat Coors Light, so uh, the sort of huge macro loggers um, have fallen away and have given us Stella Artois versus Yingling uh, at the top there. The other light uh, bracket has given us Sam Adams Boston Lager against Founders All Day IPA. And I will vote uh, in front of you, I'm going to go with uh, Stella and uh, Founders All Day IPA. Um, and then the next one is, I'm, I'm totally skewing the bracket here, but uh, whatever. Lagunitas IPA versus Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I knew this was going to happen. And I feel like this is two titans going head to head. Um, and I'm picking Lagunitas. Although Sierra was like, my first craft beer ever. Um, and then the bottom of the Elite Eight, or not the bottom, but the last two of the Elite Eight, Founders Kentucky Breakfast Stout against Guinness. Oof. There's a big matchup between uh, Kentucky Breakfast Stout and the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. It was a really close one, 366 that to was 334. Really close one. Yeah, that was a really close one. Um, 
I'm, I'm, uh, it's a little sad for me that we had like 3,000 votes um, in the first round and then went down to about 600, 600, 700 votes in the second round. Um, so I'd love to sort of beat the ground and, and get people uh, voting in this and, and get it to the end. But um, I would say that I think it'll be Lagunitas or, uh, I see Lagunitas and Sierra are going to go up against Guinness. So that's going to be really tough. So I do think the final four will be uh, Lagunitas or Sierra. I, I can't call that one. It's pretty early and it's close. Uh, but Lagunitas and Sierra versus Guinness, I think Guinness is going to win that one easily. And um, on the other side, I think it's going to be Yingling um, versus Founders All Day. So my prediction for the finals is Founders All Day against Guinness. Which, you know what? I think um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that all that mad about that finals. I know that there's been a lot of great beers like Cezanne DuPont. Uh, I was sad about that going out. Firestone Walker Easy Jack, sad about that one. Negro Modelo, sad about that one. Sierra Hazy Little Thing didn't make it out of the second round. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of great beers that have gone by the wayside. But if it comes down to Founders All Day versus Guinness, um, then uh, I'll be happy about it, I think. I think that'll be a, a good bracket. I think the the beer I like the most in the field is Omegong Three Philosophers. I think that uh, one lost a pretty close matchup to Newcastle early, and I think it may have lost because Newcastle's just been around longer. I think more people have just had it. Definitely more years. name recognition. There was a name recognition one because as much as people, as much as I tried to pick beers that we've all had, there will be beers that you haven't had, and you'll just pick the one that you just know more about. Yeah, I think Three Philosophers would be my choice. Delirium Tremens is really good. That's a really tough matchup they had earlier in the bracket going up against Guinness. That's just, I had no idea. Like honestly, like Guinness and, uh, and, and fat tire were the hardest for me to put anywhere because Guinness is a, is a stout, but it's very drinkable and light. And, um, you know, it was in a bracket with some stronger Belgians. Like I ended up putting it up against Delirium Tremens, but like it was in a bracket that where it might've been like, if it had been up against K- uh, KBS Kentucky breakfast stout or Bourbon County stout earlier, um, I think it still would have just beaten those, you know? So I kind of just, I did treat it as a little bit of a one seed and just, you just put it where I could fit it. And fat tire is an amber ale and there's not that many other, uh, you know, popular amber ales. So I'm a little surprised by uh, fat tire being a little thing, but I wasn't surprised to see fat tire lose to like Lagunitas IPA. Fat tire against Newcastle will be a pretty fair matchup. Except that fat tire is so much more bitter. It just in terms of taste, it didn't seem, but maybe that would have, uh, cleaned things up a little bit. If I'd done that, maybe I could have put Omegong against Delium Tremens and be a good matchup too. Yeah. Kept it, kept it more Belgian light longer. Uh, and yes, I have to apologize publicly for not putting Bell's uh, Too Hearted in here. It should have been in there. Um, this My bias is I'm in California. It's a really big state. We have a lot of grocery store beers. And my bias was towards, you know, what's at Safeway. And Too Hearted is in 40 states, but it's not in the Western states, basically. Didn't they just so, release a, a more sessionable version of Too Hearted? Do they call it like Half Hearted or something? Yeah. They Is that did. actually what they and called it? Uh, lighthearted. Lighthearted. <laughs> half half hearted is probably. Yeah, half hearted <laughs> is not as exciting. It's not a, not a very good name. I give this for a beer. Half hearted thumbs up. Yeah, I've heard good things about lighthearted. That's what it was uh, for just being. Yeah, so I apologize trustful. and I hope it doesn't invalidate it for people. And in fact, what I might do is uh, once the, the highest rated IPA uh, leaves or if it makes it to the finals or whatever, I will do a, uh, a final poll on Twitter. Uh, so once basically there's a winner out of, of Lagunitas IPA versus Sierra Pale Ale, I will put that winner up against Two Hearted. And perhaps that could be the, the basis for future seedings. Yeah, or it's just, uh, it's just a thing uh, that we can say, oh, well, you know what, maybe uh, Two Hearted, you know, and, and and if they get to the if they get further to get to the finals, then I can re rack the finals basically and be like, would two hearted have won this finals or lost this finals? So 
Uh, just a that would be just a thing that I can do to appease the two-hearted people because hey, I'm a two-hearted person. I like two-hearted. I, you know, it was a big train beer for me. Uh, whenever you know I was uh, on the train out to um, uh, to see the Mets, you know, you could buy two-hearted like even a Dwayne Reed. And and uh, and take it on the on the Long Island Railroad where it's allowed. Uh, is it allowed? Am I admitting to something illegal? Mm, Everyone does probably it. Probably not. <laughs> Everyone does it. They put a little you know little bag around it, and everyone's doing it. <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer for ten minutes when I was twenty years old, so I think I'm qualified <laughs> to say that you can't be implicated for anything you say on this podcast. Oh, nice, nice, good. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. So that's my pre my pre uh, beer of the month is uh, I suppose uh, Lagunitas IPA or Guinness. Those are uh, my favorites still in this thing. I've got a beauty that I'm looking forward to drinking. I'm gonna drink it this weekend because it's a mini bomber, like pint size bomber. It is from mm. Fort George. Uh, it's from our friend Ooh. Saint Danny. It's the oh. Matryoshka is the is the beer. So I'm what is really it? A dark or an IPA? It is dark. It is Whoa. a Danny is the Danny likes the darks. Yeah, he sends really good stuff. It's a uh, Russian Imperial Stout Whoa. that uh, is transferred to barrels and then aged uh, for about a year. So, jeez, that sounds yeah. exciting. Pretty excited about that, and uh, yeah, that that's going to be a, a one and done beer this weekend. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be an enjoyable one. And done your, your wife will find you asleep on the couch. Yeah, yeah. She, she'll just kind <laughs> of just watch me crater on that particular <laughs> evening. So check out that beer bracket if uh, you want to weigh in on those final matchups. Uh, if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, take a moment and do that. We appreciate everybody who's done that. If you're looking for a subscription to The Athletic, you can get a free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you're able to support the site with a paid subscription, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And as always, you can reach us via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Uh, be sure to spell the word and if you go the email route, that will help the email actually make it to us. Uh, we've got the second run of Project GOAT coming up very soon, so... Those are, are being tabulated. We'll get those results out, I would imagine, probably on one of the two episodes next week. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>